Hello, I'm Julia Hemmings, a partner in the London office of Baker and McKenzie, and I'm here with my colleague, Helen Brown. Hello. Together, we head up the global digital commerce, advertising and marketing practice. Today, we're going to be talking about the forthcoming Platform to Business, or P2B, regulation, which comes into force in just a few weeks on the 12th of July. The regulation has a number of implications for platforms providing online intermediation services and for business users of those services. And we're going to be looking at the new requirements for platform providers to incorporate a number of changes to the ways they interact with business users. We're delighted to be joined today by Lauren McGill, Director of Commercial Disputes from CEDA, the Centre for Effective Dispute Resolution, which specialises in mediation and ADR. P2B is of particular focus to CEDA in that all platform providers are required to name two mediators who they're willing to engage with on B2B disputes. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. First, a short background on the P2B regulation. It was introduced by the EU Commission in response to a perceived concern that platforms, being increasingly important gatekeepers to the consumer online market, needed to be more transparent and predictable in their dealings with the businesses who rely on them. For the purposes of the regulation, online service providers means platforms, search engines, app stores and social media providers. Throughout this podcast, we will refer to all of these service providers as platforms. The new regulation aims to promote fairness and transparency for business users of online services. In practice, this means that platforms are going to need to review their terms and conditions and operating practices to comply with some fairly significant new rules. These include minimum notice period for changes to the T's and C's and for termination, provide reasons why an online service provider may suspend or terminate access to the platform, provide the main parameters for ranking how businesses are listed, and provide transparency about preferential treatment given to the platform's own goods and services. As part of the, thank you very much, Helen, as part of the changes to the T's and C's which platforms are required to make, they need to deal with their complaints procedures a little bit differently or possibly differently. And this includes creating a more accessible, reasonable, and transparent system. They are also required to name at least two mediators who they're willing to engage with, thereby integrating alternative dispute resolution at an earlier stage in their dispute escalation curve. In terms of the dispute escalation curve, it's probably worth just mentioning this now, which is essentially we see disputes as having kind of a a life in which they move upwards and therefore require more resource from the parties and more interaction. And also they essentially take more money in order to run. Um, Part of what the platform to business regulation does is it looks at the dispute escalation curve as a as a holistic process and thereby requires platforms to integrate both their complaints procedures and potential alternative dispute resolution remedies before then potentially looking at litigation or arbitration. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot to take in. So let's just dive right in and have, have a chat about some of the more complex issues we've encountered when advising our platform clients on their compliance with the P2B regulation. Um, the P2B regulation applies from the 12th of July 2020, so effectively just over a month away. Helen, what are some of the threshold questions that platforms need to think about initially when considering as a starting point whether P2B even applies to their arrangements? Okay, so first we need to uh, consider is 
who who does the regulation apply to? Um, and in considering this, there are two tests that need to be satisfied. First of all, the platform must offer services to businesses who have their place of establishment or residence in the EU and through the platform offer goods or services to consumers located in the EU. So what that test says, it's irrelevant where the platform itself is located or where the platform provider is established. And it's also irrelevant where the actual service the consumer purchases through the platform is performed. So, for example, if um, a consumer books a, a holiday in a location outside the EU, that's irrelevant. If the, um, the business is located in the EU and, as, and the, the consumer is located in the EU, the, the, the regulation will apply. There are some tricky questions that, that come out of this test. And I think it's not always as simple in the way that, in the way that businesses um, array organize themselves and I think there are some situations where a company can contract with a platform through a non-EU entity on behalf of a number of their EU um, affiliate companies and this would bring the whole arrangement within the scope of the regulation and bind the platforms to comply with the regulations when dealing with these with, a, with possibly a US or, a, or just a non-EU entity who would not otherwise be caught. And so we've been exploring with some of our clients solutions around maybe having more than one set of terms or, or, or reorganizing how um, platforms uh, contract with, with their customers to ensure that you're only having to comply with the regulation where the, um, the business user satisfies that two-stage test. Lauren, do you have any observations on multinational agreements from your perspective? Yes. So obviously we're much more focused on kind of the what goes, what happens when things go wrong in the agreement. So we're looking at from a, a mediation perspective or an alternative dispute resolution perspective, we're looking at when there's been a breakdown in the relationship between the platform on one side and the business user on the other side. Um, in, in terms of looking at multinational agreements, they can present some quite tricky aspects for both of the parties to deal with when looking at ADR. In most instances, um, and I would expect this to be the case in all P2B instances, choice of law and forum will be addressed in the T's and C's and will be agreed up front. And that very much is when you're at the, the end of the dispute escalation curve and the parties have not been able to resolve their dispute through negotiation or mediation, and therefore they're looking for an adjudicative process. However, before you get to that point, um, and before the platforms and the business users, most importantly, are, are at a point where they're in a litigation or arbitration context, um, they may wish to explore different avenues for resolving their dispute. And in doing that for multinational contracts or, or contracts where you have parties in multiple jurisdictions, you it creates issues in terms of logistical points with timing. There's obviously the, the very obvious issue of when you have different languages which are involved by relating to the participants. But there's also issues relating to cultural differences in approach to bargaining processes. So, for instance, we've seen that certain cultures will, will start with what is their bottom line. Um, and that can be quite difficult in negotiations if the other side actually is starting with a kind of pie in the sky uh, offer because they think they're going to whittle it down. Um, and it's important for those those points to be addressed by the neutral who's dealing with the dispute. And lastly, 
obviously the mediation in and of itself, if it hasn't been agreed up front in the terms and conditions, it could be governed by a different law. Um, and the process could also be, will have implications for procedurally how that anything that's said in the mediation or anything that's said in negotiations is then ultimately used in any subsequent litigation or arbitration. Thanks, Lauren. So there's lots to think about for platforms initially in terms of the application of P2P to multinational arrangements, um, particularly it sounds like in terms of the contracting arrangement going forwards and the, and the governing law, as well as a number of other issues. One additional threshold issue um, to look at is whether the terms between platforms and business users have been negotiated. So it's fair to say that most of the obligations under the P2P regulation apply only in terms of uh, for terms and conditions between a business user and a platform. The terms and conditions is a defined term in the regulation and it effectively refers to all terms, conditions, specifications, anything really that governs the contractual relationship between the provider and its business users to the extent it's been unilaterally determined by the platform. So what does that really mean? Well, looking back at the 2018 impact assessments of the regulation, um, it makes it clear that the spirit of it, the regulation is to address issues arising as a result of the terms and conditions of a platform being based on a pre-formulated standard terms. So the question of whether terms and conditions are unilaterally determined and therefore within scope needs to be evaluated based on a, an overall assessment, looking really at the size of the parties involved, uh, whether any negotiation took place, although this itself is not decisive. But the points to consider would, would include did the parties truly have the chance and the bargaining position to be able to negotiate those terms? Or is there a negotiation in name only? Could the platform be considered to have just imposed its standard terms on the business user? So the key factor here is, is there equal bargaining power between the parties? Since the regulation is predominantly aimed at platforms with superior bargaining power who can behave on this unilateral type basis. So Overall, the commentary we've seen so far suggests that really this is going to be an overall assessment rather than based on the strict parameters or definition of terms and conditions. So those are the, the sort of threshold issues that platforms need to consider when working out whether or not the P2P regulation is going to apply to them. Now looking at some of the more thorny issues uh, of the regulation itself, and one of the most discussed issues we've encountered so far relates to the provisions around restriction, suspension and termination as the P2P reg seeks to create a kind of properly functioning market by ensuring balance on that account control. Helen, can you talk through some of the issues we've been looking at here? Yes. Um, so the regulation introduces a requirement to give at least 30 days notice of termination, unless the breach is serious, and to, for the platform to provide a statement of reasons when either terminating or suspending access to the platform. The intention here in this giving us a statement of reasons is that um, will enable the business user to know why the event has happened and, and to challenge the platform's actions if they have an issue with the decision that's been made by using the internal complaint handling procedure that uh, Lauren has already mentioned. So one interesting issue that has come up when looking at the termination requirements under the regulation and is this. Does the regulation prevent a platform from including in its terms a right to termination, termination on notice, a termination for convenience clause? There are two perspectives on this, and I'll, I'll set out the first one. I think Julia will come, come and uh, give the other view. 
So, so one view is that the termination stops short of saying that you that a platform can't have a termination for convenience clause. All it requires is that the platform terms are clear on grounds for termination and that notice must be given and that a statement of reasons must be given. And anything further than this, there's an argument that says that that would fetter a platform's freedom to contract and imply, even indeed an obligation to supply, which would have serious implications for contract law. Laura, so, Julia, what's the other side of the argument? Thanks, Alan. Yeah, so that's one interesting take on it. I suppose the other side of it is if, in the absence of a, an express prohibition on termination for convenience, we conclude that termination for convenience provisions are permitted, how do we square that with the spirit of the P2B regulation, which is clearly aimed at protecting business users from unfair practices, and a termination for convenience clause could simply wipe out their whole business in one fell swoop? There's a, a question that this could be difficult to reconcile with the Article 4 requirements, uh, which provide that a statement of reasons has to be given um, for any termination and the business users should have the opportunity to clarify that termination beforehand. This doesn't seem to fit completely with the idea of a termination for convenience clause. Yes, I, I, don't, I don't think it's clear cut at the moment. And I think maybe in the, in the absence of any guidance, because this is new legislation, either from the Commission or any of the member states, we don't really have a clear steer. So I think for now, our recommendation might be that platforms retain, if they've got retain a, a, a termination for convenience clause, but uh, be aware that that clause may well be subject to challenge in the future. Um, and further, if if a termination for convenience clause is retained, we would definitely recommend that a, a long notice period is given, certainly much longer than 30 days, and even something up to probably six months. But as I think we've made clear, I think this is a little, one of those areas of uncertainty and this may well be one of those issues that ends up being um, sort of heard at a CJEU decision because um, I think, you know, it definitely lacks clarity at the moment. So turning to some other issues, um, Julia, there are other issues in the regulation which are receiving a lot of attention, um, particularly in relation to ranking and differential, differentiated treatment. Can you explain what the regulation requires here? Yeah, sure. So in terms of ranking, so there are requirements in the regulation that um, the parameters determining ranking need to be clearly stated, as well as the reasons for um, and the relative importance of those main parameters as opposed to other parameters. So uh, the recitals require platforms to provide an explanation um, of the possibility of actively influencing ranking against remuneration. So whether we're talking about payment or acceptance of other obligations like signing up to premium features and also an explanation of the relative effects of this. So there's a real push towards transparency here. Whilst there's no strict obligation to disclose detailed functioning of ranking mechanisms, including algorithms, which I know has been a key concern for some of the platforms we've been speaking to, the description needs to be sufficient to allow business users to understand how the ranking mechanism takes account of the goods and services that are offered to consumers and effectively the relevance of those characteristics for consumers. The ultimate aim here is for business users to be able to make an informed assessment about where to focus their efforts. Okay, so if, if I was a platform, I might find that difficult to translate into sort of practical um, information on my 
on my site. So do we have any further guidance or information on precisely what these disclosure requirements actually mean? That's a good question. And we are awaiting guidance. It was due at the end of April, but unfortunately, there's been radio silence with everything else going on at the moment. So I know this has been frustrating for platforms who are looking at their processes and need to know with the looming deadline how much information they need to disclose. Okay, so it's a sort of watch and wait on that one. Yes, absolutely. And what about differentiated treatment, sort of ranking, i.e. ranking your own products higher, possibly higher than those of third parties? What, what does the regulation say about that? So similarly, this is another uh, requirement for transparency, how a platform treats its own goods and services compared to those of a business user. So platforms uh, where they have their own goods and services need to include a description in, in those terms and conditions of the differentiated treatment which they give to their own goods and services compared to the business users, such as access, ranking, remuneration, charges or technical interfaces. So these, the different treatments can be legal, commercial or technical. Interestingly, the EU Observatory on the Online Platform Economy, which has been set up by the EU Commission um, to look at current trends and monitor the implementation of the regulation, has suggested that platforms should be granted a certain degree of discretion when deciding how to design their platform. So some level of differentiation is to be regarded as inherent in their functioning. I think the key focus here is to target seriously problematic practices and then those practices are likely to get further scrutiny. Um, so I think it's really a question of taking into account how these arrangements affect the business model and whether there's any likelihood of harm to business users and ultimately consumers as a result of these practices. I think that's where the focus is going to lie here. So coming on to the dispute escalation curve that Lauren mentioned earlier and the requirements of Article 12 in relation to mediation. Lauren, could you talk to us about how the complaints procedure and the right to mediate interact with each other? Yes, so thank you very much. In terms of how, how the two interlock is, although there is no restriction on a business user or a platform to essentially elect for mediation immediately when there is a breakdown in the relationship, it seems from reviewing the regulation that there is very much a spirit that first complaints will be raised initially with the, the platform and that the platform will then apply their complaints process to those disputes. And the idea behind there, and we have seen this kind of time and time again, companies that have very successful complaints handling processes are able to vastly cut down on the percentage of disputes that ultimately end up in courts or arbitration. Um, and so what will happen is a business user will, raise, will go through the complaints procedure and the vast majority of complaints are likely to be resolved in that way. If a complaint is not resolved um, fully through, through the system, which is required to be easily accessible, free of charge, that it's required to take place within during a reasonable time frame, and that the complaints procedure should deal with the dispute in a proportionate manner to the importance and complexity of the dispute. If it's not resolved in that process, um, the business user and the platform both have the ability to then use an ADR solution. Um, and in this instance, the, the main solution which is put forward is mediation. And what mediation is for, for those who are listening who may not be familiar is essentially it is a, a process whereby a third party neutral will facilitate negotiations between the parties who are in dispute in order to reach a settlement. And it very much puts the parties in the driver's seat. Um, 
once mediation is elected for, it is then up to the parties to consent. And both parties do still need to consent. And that's something that I will I will come on to in terms of how that interacts with the overall process. So in terms of the regulation, if the business user or the platform decide to mediate, the idea is that there will be named mediators by the platform who they have kind of pre-approved um, to interact with. Now, there are a number of requirements that those mediators need to meet. They need to be impartial and independent. They need to provide an affordable and proportionate price service. They need to be able to perform the mediation in the language of the terms and conditions of the contract governing the relationship between the business user and the, the platform. And they need to be easily accessible, whether that's remotely or in person, and to act without undue delay. So that's that's quite a few number of requirements that the mediator needs to meet. When you're looking at a platform provider that, for instance, may be operating, and this comes back to the multinational aspect, operating across multiple jurisdictions within the EU, across multiple languages, and with multiple products that require different expertise for the mediator or different familiarity, it simply cannot just be two mediators. They're going to need essentially kind of an, a stable of mediators who are able to meet all of those requirements. And the idea is, is that mediation will assist the parties in avoiding undue cost to proceed to litigation. And just in terms of, of statistics, so CEDAR, obviously, we, we conduct a vast number of mediations a year, and our settlement rate is roughly 75% on the day, and then a further 10 to 15%, so roughly around 85%, um, within two weeks after the mediation has finished. Um, and this will, if media, if disputes can be resolved in this manner, it will alleviate pressure on the courts, but it will also create a more commercial relationship going forward between the parties rather than having kind of an adjudicative decision thrust upon them. In terms of the requirements, coming back to the dispute escalation curve, it's very important that we do think about consent. So business users will have consented to using the complaints procedure and everything up front as part of the terms and conditions. They'll understand up front what the, mediate, the mediators who have been named. But the mediation itself and the actual mediation that is used still requires the consent of both parties. And there may be certain circumstances which either a business user or a platform provider decides not to mediate. And a great example of that may be coming back to Helen and Julia, what you discussed earlier, where you were talking about uncertainty and ambiguity in relation to the termination for convenience clauses and whether they are enforceable. And you may find that if that is an issue that's coming up over and over again, that a platform provider may decide that they want to litigate that because they want some guidance from the CJ. Um, EU in that respect. So it is important for the business user's expectations to be managed that simply because a mediator is named doesn't mean that that is pre-consent to mediation, although it's very clear from the regulation that in the spirit of the regulation, platform providers are expected to mediate as and when possible. 
Thanks, Lauren. That's really interesting. Yeah, you're right. I mean, in terms of some of the thorny issues that we've been discussing, obviously, there's the termination convenience point, algorithms, ranking, differential treatment, and also data handling, which we haven't had time to touch on today. It sounds like there's a number of issues where the mediators um, are going to be able to step in and help resolve disputes at kind of all levels of complexity and and claim value. So um, it looks like it's going to be a busy time ahead. Um, Finally, we couldn't really end our discussion without tackling Brexit. Helen, what's your thoughts on that? So how does how does Brexit um, affect the implementation of the regulation in the UK? And the answer to that simply is it doesn't. Um, the regulation will become directly applicable in all 27 member states uh, on the 12th of July, and it will also become directly applicable in uh, the UK too. It, um, because it came into force before we left the EU, um, it will transfer across automatically into UK law. And the only rig- uh, sort of wrinkle in that would be if um, the government decided to make any change to that as part of any finalising of any Brexit deal. But we think that's unlikely. There are probably bigger issues that need to be resolved on other issues. So it will be applying in the UK as it will be in, in the EU. And one Thing we haven't touched on yet is what, what are the enforcement provisions in the regulation itself it says if uh, the terms and conditions include anything uh, that is contrary to the provisions in the regulation that that clause in the terms and conditions will be null and void but what about enforcement action Julia what do we know about that so far? We've, um, we've linked up with our colleagues across the EU to see how local regulators are tackling P2B regulation. And interestingly, despite the looming deadline, there's very little in terms of local guidance. It seems everyone's awaiting the promised guidance from the EU Commission first. Um, What seems to be becoming clear, though, is that P2B enforcement will be considered a breach of unfair competition law in many jurisdictions. So we'll fall within the competencies of the competition authorities, which, as we're seeing um, across the consumer sphere, are increasingly charged with dealing with antitrust and consumer protection issues. So um, we think there's likely to be active enforcement of this issue, particularly because uh, of the resultant impact on consumers down the line of um, practices towards business users. And in some cases, this can lead to significant sanctions. But we will be watching this space. Yes, I think we'll be watch this space. Um, so sort of wrapping up now, um, there are lots of things to consider if you're a platform. Um, and the, the 12th of July date is fast approaching. So platforms need to really be thinking about how they are going to, what changes they need to make to their terms and conditions and their processes to comply with these requirements. And Lauren, what, what are your closing thoughts? Yes. And I, I think I think from our perspective in, in terms of, of working with clients in relation to the upcoming deadline, it's, it's really thinking about what kind of mediators um, do you need? And, and how do you get that kind of breadth of offering? Um, mediation organizations like CEDAR are, are very able to kind of deal with that, but it matters in terms of making sure that you have a uniform approach across your various jurisdictions. So looking at all of the various issues that you may need there. Thanks. Yeah, and finally, I'd just say we're you know, advising lots of clients in this space. Uh, it's a really interesting time and there's lots more guidance that's about to be uh, coming out, we hope. So please, if you'd like to discuss it, reach out to us and we're happy to talk it through further. Okay, thanks everyone.